Because James Potter just should have known better, this is MuggleCast episode 253 for May 13th, 2012. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 253. Selena, Eric, Mike, and I are here this week bringing you all the latest Harry Potter news, and we're going to talk more about Pottermore. And no, we're not going to complain this week. <laughs> Maybe. We have positive things. <laughs> a little well, bit. Yeah. <laughs> you never... Uh, never yeah. say never. I, I yeah. love how you it's said that. It's always a given. You said that with a straight face, but the first news item is like, Pottermore, is, right. are they telling the yeah, truth? Yeah, take it back. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I meant was our main discussion yeah. will be a positive yes. Pottermore discussion. We're going to be talking about um, the Dursley's backstory... Uh, as well as J.K. Rowling's thoughts on the Dursleys and McGonagall's backstory as well. And then we have your emails and tweets, too, to get to. So let's start with the news. Michael, what is in the news this week? Pottermore. Oh, okay. Thanks, Michael. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Moving on now? Yep. Well, you didn't want to uh, talk about anything negative associated with it, uh, but... The, uh, this isn't negative news. This is, this it's is, not negative news, news, but I guess the discussion that we have about it may lead in that direction. But uh, Charlie Redmayne, who is the new CEO or newly appointed CEO several months ago, spoke at the London Book Fair, and I guess he was asked about Pottermore, and he said that Chamber of Secrets and other books are coming in the next few weeks or months. And... Uh, what do you guys think about this? I mean, Chamber of Secrets obviously would be the next, and if you're saying the next few weeks, right? When, where where does that put us? Maybe into June sometime, uh, and then obviously the other books would follow. But uh, it's just to me, I'm trying to get my head around what's the schedule for the releasing of these books. Why are they not committing to a specific date? I know they've had issues committing to dates in the past, but why not just lay it all out there. Is it a material issue? Is it, Are not all the books ready yet? What do you guys think? Well, I, I don't think that all the books are ready yet because it seems like a lot of work goes into creating each book. And I almost feel like it would be better for them if they if they spread out the releases. Like if he's really saying the books will be coming within the next few months and he's sort of expecting this like scattering release of all six remaining books i think that would just be a bit anticlimactic for fans like i wish we had something to look forward to in that way well i think and i think it's better that they do spread out the releases because one you know i I doubt they're much further than maybe even prisoner of azkaban they may still be completely focused on chamber of secrets who knows how far they've gotten um but i think it's if they were to release all these books at once say they did do that or at least even three at once people would page through them so quickly they'd be mm-hmm. done, be done. In, in you know two hours yeah. no i i think that the the initial timeline that they had said it was like it had books new books every six months maybe longer and that was that was too long that was like a, we're talking three years of you know every six months and, and 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 it didn't work out that way now that 
you know, we have this news that it's going to be a few weeks or months between each of the books. I'm glad that the timetable has sped up a little bit because, I mean, we've been in beta for so long as well. Um, you know, I think it's it's more suited that, that we get it maybe a few months apart, maybe three months apart. Say it's three months apart mm. for every book. Okay, I think that's a little bit better considering you can finish each book within a couple of hours. Um, you know, content-wise, who knows where they're at. Um but, you know, I think this timetable, if they stick to it, if they're able to stick to it, and I've always hated the rand, uh, the vague, the vagueness of their dates, you know, like, oh, beta's open on October. Well, does that mean the 1st or the 31st? I've always hated that. So I do wish, agreeing with, you know, what you said, that they give us a specific date for crying out loud and just stick to it. <laughs> Yeah, but here's the thing though with that. I, I agree that I think that maybe a three month release is, is pretty good amount of time, but what are they going to do with Pottermore once all the books are out? Like, because this huge thing, Pottermore was going to keep the fandom going, but once all the information from all seven books have been released, I mean, what's the point of it? Collecting house points? <laughs> well, then they, uh, then at that point, they'll, uh, they'll just, uh, work on the second part of Pottermore, right. which is the shop. <laughs> you they know, there's always, ca- always, casual more. <laughs> new, yeah, casual more. Exactly. <laughs> I think, well, I, I just think that, um, getting back to what he had to say, these interviews he's done lately have been very reassuring. Um, it's good to hear that they actually are pretty close to Chamber of Secrets. I didn't really expect it to be this soon. Right. Well, and in that article, you actually bolded a couple of things worth talking about, you know, aside from the fact that new books are in the works over the next few weeks and months. Um, something else that came up is the site is going to get incredibly exciting, uh, and his job will become much more exciting. So, uh, that should have fans excited. Um, you know, and then over the coming weeks, you will see more of J.K. Rowling's content and books fly by. Yeah. What does that mean? Fly by. It means, it means fast. It means well, speed. Now that they have their server problems out of the way, I, all they gotta focus on now is books. Are the server problems out of the way truly? Do we? I, I think so. Okay, I'm having trouble. Well, no one with on this Flash. call can answer that. Yeah. Well, I'm having trouble with Flash, I think. When I went back in there to grab content for today's show, I was clicking things and, and, and it wasn't working. And then I was scrolling, I was like hovering over with my mouse and then things would click. I don't know if I'm just doing the whole Pottermore no, thing wrong. that happens to me as well. Like I'll go in there and I'll, I'll hover over stuff and it'll sort of, you know what it does? It kind of moves when you can click on it, but I can't actually click on it. And it really annoys me. What I'm about to bring up may be a little too nerdy, but Flash, which the site is based on, and we all know Flash, you know, we've mm. all seen Flash sites before. It's kind of outdated the, the technology the, the technology is aging and mm-hmm. it's never been that great and it's bad for tablets it's bad for for actually physically touching so you know this stuff will never work on an ipad unless they completely revamp it something else he charlie redmayne the ceo uh, mentioned is that there will be new interactive and community functionalities Yay. being added in, in the coming weeks as well and in a follow-up interview he's been doing a lot of interviews lately in a follow-up interview, he said they are going to make it less restrictive. So Ooh, that's so a good the sign. Are coming off. Well, one of the things I <laughs> thought would be the first things that they would change is they would let people see their r- real names. Mm-hmm. That seems like a big thing that they were like a stickler against. Yeah, it seems like they're really going back. But I guess they are listening to fans, though, which is good. Well, the one thing because he said he also said, "Well, we're going to keep it just as safe." 
but make it less restrictive. So it's like, well, how are you going to do that? I mean, one of the ways could be maybe you can opt in. You can be like, yes, I am 18 years or older. Please show my real name. Whereas people younger would still not be able to. Or only your first name, maybe. Yeah. Or maybe just first name. Right. Um, and maybe, maybe new messaging features. Who knows? I, I don't think they'll so. do a chat room. Like, have some it. kind of like thing, like personalized thing on your profile or have some kind of thing that you can say, I'm not just a number collecting points for a house, but it's actually me. <laughs> well, you know? no, hang on, hang on. I think you've gone too far. Oh. <laughs> because we each have our own house. We each have our own wand. Yeah. And our wand is very specific. But I, and I think we've speculated before, sorry, that you know, later, as later books come, we'll get more things like a Patronus in book five, say, or an Animagus in book three, you know, th- things like that, that may make it a little bit more in depth. I mean, it's just the first book. I think what, what he's saying here with these, you know, exciting new community features, they may come hand in hand with each book. I'd hate to think that Sorting and wands is the only like book tie into your profile page. Mm. I would like to think as you go through, you can have different things like pets and uh, like what Andrew had said and, and other stuff. Do you guys remember? And this might again be going too far. They probably wouldn't allow this, but do you guys remember like really old school internet chat rooms where you had little icons and you sort of moved from room to room and you chatted with people? That would be so cool if it was like you could chat with people in the common room and in the great hall. And <laughs> Yeah, that would. Yeah, you know, they always said the same thing to me when I got in those chat rooms and it was ASL, ASL, oh. question mark, ASL, question mark. Even today, I though, to... I don't think you can go in chat rooms and really, people don't really ask AS- ASL. What does ASL do mean? Do I want ASL to know? means age, sex, location. Oh, oh right. Of course. They're yeah. trying to hook up. People trying to hook up. But I don't know. <laughs> I, I still have it. Well, I could go into the chat rooms, yeah. but I don't see a reason to. Yeah. Obviously, like if we get a, a like a forum, chat rooms would be good. I don't think. No. You know. I mean. I would be too far. I think you guys are right. We don't want chat ASL. rooms require moderators. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think they're going to do that. You just see that though on sort of the, the social communities that have already been created. Look at, for example, with Muggle Space. I mean, I doubt the chat there is Harry Potter all the time. In mm. fact, I know it's not. So, uh, you know, it, it, would, it, would, yeah. it would take a lot of moderation, like you're saying, on the yeah. part of Pottermore, Pottermore, excuse me, to, to really keep it, um, in line, I think, and fan friendly. I just. So, I think I just want Pottermore to be like some kind of interactive Hogwarts. <laughs> That's oh, what they're I trying supposedly, it to be. and my my concern remains. You know, if you're going out there and you're saying now that within the next few weeks that fans are going to have this new book, because let's not forget the people who are in beta for so long have had Sorcerer's Stone since last summer. So in they, some variation, yeah. Yeah, they've had almost a year now to play around with this thing, whereas the new members are just getting accustomed to it. But it's kinda like, well, your one million beta testers really want something new. They've been sitting out on the sidelines and haven't really had much to experience. So they better deliver and deliver soon. That's just you know I like what this I guy. Think. I'm just gonna say that this uh Charlie Redmayne, he he seems pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you like it. Uh, but the uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up really quick, because I saw a couple of people tweet about it, and I actually got an email this morning, is why is Pottermore sending out sign-up emails to people who have already signed up? I understand. I got that, too. Me, too. If, I, I got understand one. I got if you too. registered an account and you didn't follow through on it. You know, Andrew, you brought up in previous episodes that people 
probably signed up and forgot about it. Okay, if you if it's, if it's a reminder, that's one thing, but you should know the people who followed through and, and signed up on your system. I don't get that. Yeah, one day ago, I got the same email. Have you signed up to Pottermore? Question mark. And and to and- Pottermore sounds like it's a, a verb. <laughs> have you signed up to Pottermore? Like, have you, you have done to, the Pottermore? Pottermore. Yeah. Do the signed Pottermore. Up to, to Pottermore. We, we're delighted that Pottermore is now open to everyone. This is from the email. If you haven't yet signed up, now is your chance to discover if you're magical. What do you mean, if you're magical? Is there an option that you'll sign up <laughs> to Pottermore and you won't be magical? <laughs> Sorry, muggle. Can't come in. Yeah, you failed the sorting. I don't yeah, know. That they, was, I thought the same thing. They, they seem very unorganized across the board, you really? know, in terms of what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I'm starting wh- to think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> what was it you guys said yeah. about not being negative? <laughs> yeah. Well, no. I, look, I think it's a it's a great platform. I think there's a lot of great content in there, but I think the way that they've done things so far is less than desirable for fans. We'd like to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For our listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is A Clash of Kings by George R.R. R. Martin. Currently airing on HBO, it is the second book in the immensely popular A Song of Ice and Fire series. It is a tale in which brother plots against brother and the dead rise to walk in the night. A princess masquerades as an orphan boy, a knight of the mind prepares a poison for a treacherous sorceress, and wild men descend from the mountains of the moon to ravage the countryside. Against a backdrop of incest and fratricide, alchemy and murder, victory may go to the men and women possessed of the coldest steel and the coldest hearts. For when kings clash, the whole land trembles. So check it out today. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. What else is going on in the news? The Wizards collection is continuing to cause much controversy amongst <laughs> fans. And we talked about it, I think, on the last episode. But uh, it seems as if this collection is just not sitting well with fans of the series. Uh, Hypable had a great article about the fact that the collection itself has a 1.5 star rating uh, amongst 200 reviews or over 200 reviews on Amazon.com, <laughs> which is interesting considering that the Wizards collection is not due out until September. So how you, <laughs> nobody has seen it. How you can this review was a something. fantastic article. I loved this article. Uh, um, I do like it. It's just, you give Harry Potter fans a year. This is the other thing is that they're going to, you know, say they're going to speak their mind. But this just is a good indicator of what the Harry Potter fan is thinking. You know, the reviews that are talking about this Wizards collection so negatively before it comes out shows that we're kind of fed up with Warner Brothers marketing. And and it's not just this collection. Maybe this one got the brunt of it because it's the latest, you know, incarnation of basically repeating the same stuff we already own and, and reiterating it and putting features that we've already seen onto these discs and selling it for this huge price. This ridiculous. Yeah, I think price. it is a so, huge price. That's the main issue here. I mean, yeah. So, so huge. what should the price be? 
it, like WB has it retail for $500. <laughs> Amazon has it discounted to 350 but what should it actually be after a discount? I would say 100 Like, because we don't get, do we get any new material besides the box? Well, if you think about most, but if you think about most box sets, they are pretty pricey, usually around Mm, the $100 range. Maybe $150 then. I don't know. I, because you do get seven films. How much do you really think it costs to make this is the other thing. Like, I'm sure they're making bank off of it. uh, I don't know. Just like, there's like a stamp collection or a tattoo collection that comes with it, right? I feel like movies. I feel like you get like because what you get with it that's supposed to, supposedly so special is that um you get that it's it's one out of like thirty five thousand or something and you get like this yeah, is number seven hundred and fifty three. I feel like that's so ridiculous. Like if they were gonna give anything to m- warrant this huge price, it should be like a, an autograph from J.K. Rowling or something, you know? Yeah. And and you should get I, the the general consensus as we read in the article is that people want extended editions and content yes. that isn't on the DVDs that they already have blooper reels <laughs> yeah blooper reels for example and you know in fairness WB has said in the past they are going to keep announcing new features so we'll see what may come next we know as we talked about on the last episode there's going to be more from the Dan Radcliffe JK Rowling one-on-one interview with like 10 minutes of additional footage <laughs> extended features of their extended features right you know um, so basically what they're doing is they're they're integrating a lot of what was on the ultimate editions into this set right so one of the things i did was i sent an email to wb and i wanted to know hey are you guys planning on releasing deathly hallows part one and part two ultimate editions they haven't responded yet i don't know that they ever will but you know i think that's one of the main issues that's out there for a lot of people who have bought these ultimate editions they want a complete set and Mm -hmm. are they going to be able to do that Right, because they are all, all the Ultimate Edition boxes are specially designed to kind of sit next to each other. Yeah. And they all, they all look similar. And we all um, want our shelves to look like neat and organized in that right. way, you know? <laughs> you just don't do anything half assed. No. You don't, you don't do six Ultimate Edition collections and not do seven and eight. No. You just, you don't, you don't do that. <laughs> like, the reason I don't own the Ultimate Editions is because even them, even they, looked like repackaged features from from the get-go the, the it was cool that they had the unique documentary but even then it was like split across you know eight parts right so you'd think they'd complete the whole set but you know besides that special documentary uh which was almost a selling point i very nearly purchased the ultimate editions for it um you know the other big thing i guess was the opportunity to watch the film abc family version with deleted mm-hmm. scenes put back into the film instead of what we did previously which was you had the deleted scenes but on a separate disc or view them separately you could view them as an extended version of the normal yeah film. as some people cool. brought up though in in this post you know there weren't that many deleted scenes so if you add these deleted scenes into the film and you make them quote unquote extended editions you're not really getting that much more out of the it. deleted scenes have just that. always been yeah. such a disappointment like you go into it and you're like it's it's like five minutes of the same scene, and then at the end they add like a long look from Snape or something. Yeah, 
Well, you're right, but I think the other the other reason for that is that these films they really did make the films they set out to make. You're not going to find extra scenes really because you know very early on they would have been nixed, you know, before they ever filmed them. Yeah, it's not like you know Dumbledore's funeral, for instance. It's not like they filmed it and just didn't put it no. in. That w- that was a huge decision that they made very early on. It was never going to be in the film. I think David Yates is, is quoted as saying. Yes. So they're never going to be that many special feed like bonus deleted scenes to to warrant a special edition i'm thinking that the ultimate editions were just a mistake to make to begin with maybe they feel the same but i think they should make seven and eight i agree with you i bet they will i think they're just going to come after well it's more money the wizards collection too that i mean that's the other thing to look at right there's a huge opportunity there for people who have the set already to make money off of them by putting these two discs out so I just don't understand, though, with the the speed with which they put out, I think, movie three, movie four, movie five, and movie six in Ultimate Edition format, it was very, very quick. And I don't know exactly how many months were in between, but that's kind of how they did the release. And I guess they tied it to the movie... Um, you know, coming out, uh, Deathly Hallows Part 1 and Part 2, they had that opportunity to market it, but it just kind of dropped off completely once the last film came out. So, I, I don't know, and I guess they were waiting for it to do Part 1 in Ultimate Edition until Movie 2 was in theaters, and, and or I guess out of theaters, but it just, it seems like a slight to fans, a little bit of a slap in the face that that they're doing it this way. Because essentially it's like, oh, you know, just keep buying, just keep rebuying the same stuff. We know you'll like it. We're going we're gonna to throw in a sticker book, well, and it's going to be awesome. The, the point is, it's not like the content doesn't exist. So it, it's just a matter of packaging it together and putting it out there like they did when yeah. they were putting the other movies out in, in such rapid fashion. So, yeah. But the only other thing I would add to that is, you know, for fans who are complaining about it, the solution, don't buy it. You don't have to buy it, right? You really want to say that though, because I guess that's because you're not. You don't get much extra. So, what else is going on in the news, Micah? Please. Yeah, final bit of news: the uh, the MTV Movie Award nominations were released uh, back at the end of April, and as expected, Deathly Hallows Part Two picked up several nominations, and uh, the award show is set for June third. Voting is open now. This is one of those shows, you know, what's interesting to me is we always talk about when we have no control over it, we're always so upset that Deathly Hallows doesn't get nominated, or sorry, Harry Potter doesn't get nominated, you know, whether it's the uh, the, the Golden Globes or, or the Oscars, you know, those are things we have no control over. Well, here's an award show we have plenty of control over and can easily have, you know, uh, impact on the outcome of who wins these awards. So... What ends up happening, though, is that people don't vote enough, and they get upset when <laughs> Harry Potter doesn't win against you know movies like Twilight, and this year The Hunger Games is going to be a part of it. So, a lot of interesting categories there. What do you guys think? What does Harry Potter have the best chance of winning? Well, I, I love this year's awards, because all three big film, book-to-film franchises are going up against each other. Um, yeah, as as you mentioned, so it's going to be really interesting, and there's going to be a lot of <laughs> feedback. The once all the uh, awards have been announced by you know the different fandoms, 
Uh, I, I think best cast, right? I would, hope would, they would win be. best cast. But, okay, but here's the thing you have to keep in mind. It's all about the people voting. And if Harry Potter fans aren't reminded enough to vote, it's pointless. Yes. I mean, so I'm, Harry Potter fans have to get out. I pretty vote. much, I mean, I'm predicting right now, I pretty much think that Hunger Games is going to swoop this, sweep this awards because their fandom is most active at the moment. You know, because we, we're still in the middle of this series and the fandom is still so fresh and the fans are still, I mean, I'm not saying Harry Potter fans and Twilight fans are less enthusiastic. I'm just saying, I, I think that the Hunger Games, because things like Best Kiss, like, I'm particularly fighting for Harry Potter to win Best Kiss, not necessarily because of anything beside the fact that it's the only category that would put Rupert Grint up there. <laughs> And it's, I always feel so bad for him in these awards because it's always Daniel Radcliffe for male and obviously Emma Watson for female and he never gets anything. So I'm just like, just give him that at least. But anyway, so I, I still, I, I don't see how Hunger Games couldn't win that one or best fight or best female performance movie of the year, you know? I think yeah, I think I'm gonna just repeat what I just said. That, that I think best cast is a, is a that Harry Potter is a great opportunity to win that just because there's so much you know so many people that people like. Whereas I think with the Hunger Games, you know, there are still fans yeah. who feel adverse about e- even something like Gale's casting. You know, people say Gale and Peter should have been switched. You know, their casting and, and feel that way. Um, you know, which is you know odd to me, but whatever. And you know, th- again with Twilight, it's really only about two people. You know. Bella and Edward and Jacob, obviously. But, uh, you know, even though I like the Cullens, um, you know, you really don't <laughs> see a whole lot of them. They're not, you know, it's not really about them, etc. You know, the cast of Harry Potter, nothing is ever going to come close to it. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it has well, a good chance. It's interesting because in the, the best male and best female categories, it's, in my opinion, it's Harry Potter versus The Hunger Games because there is no Twilight nomination in either of those categories. Uh, so yeah, and and the bridesmaid fandom isn't going to be coming out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are you kidding? They've been out <laughs> since uh, in all the other awards. They, yeah, they won true. the uh, they won the comedy awards for crying out loud. Well, last week they swept at what? They were got the, they got three. But were those fan voted awards? Or? Oh. Yeah, probably not. And I, I just think you can't compare, though, Eric, to your point with the best cast. You know, you look through these movies, I haven't seen most of them, but Bridesmaids, The Hunger Games, 21 Jump Street, and The Help are all up against Deathly Hallows Part 2. Uh, it's yeah, not a contest. It, it's, it's really not. And But that's the thing. Are people going to go out and vote? You know, are you going to have that more active fandom like Selena was talking about with The Hunger Games that's going to go crazy and vote every single day? as many times as possible versus Harry Potter, which has kind of become a little bit complacent. We need to take out ad space on our own <laughs> site. We need to retweet and retweet and retweet yes. saying Harry, Harry can still make a difference. Vote See, best cast. But at MTV I guess I think that's a pretty good um, sort of test really is how excited are we for Harry Potter to win these awards? Do we, I mean, I'm not saying do we care, but, do we think it's so important that we're going to go in and vote every day and campaign for it and stuff? Or are we just sort of become a bit complacent, like we're saying the fandom has? I don't know. I'm kind of motivated by Micah's call to action here. <laughs> yeah. I think I do want to. I do want to, because that's what it was. And, you know, I like the MTV Movie Awards. Thinking back, like, they're the shows. That's the show. That's the awards show that I watched first, before the Oscars, before the Grammys. MTV Movie Awards, primarily because of the skits, but also because they have the movies that I like. You know, it's more, it's more fan oriented. And, uh, 
so I, I, I think I will vote now. Thank you very much Good. for the reminder. We should all vote. If you ask me, it, it comes down to which studio's Twitter account is promoting <laughs> it enough. <laughs> um, and I think the best thing Harry Potter does have going for it, that said, is the fact that it is the last chance it has at the movie awards. There's not another film, whereas there will be for Twilight and Hunger Games. That's so that's uh, it. For that's news. about it as far as the news goes. All right, very good. Now, like we said at the start of the show, we're going to talk about Pottermore, some of the new material from J.K. Rowling we've been going through recently, and this week we're going to be going through the Dursley's backstory as well as McGonagall's backstory. Two very interesting backstories that were very fun to read, and Eric is going to lead this, I think. Yes, before we go into this, remember, Pottermore is now open to everybody. <laughs> don't forget. Don't, don't, in case, in case you put your email down and they emailed you and said, in case you haven't signed up, Pottermore is open to everybody. So, look, we have two items that we chose to discuss in this week's episode. Um, you know, I'm not going to go through bullet point by bullet point, but basically, we do learn a lot in, I believe it's chapter two. Uh, of Pottermore, book one, about Vernon Petunia Dursley. Dursley. Um, we find out how they met, we find out how they fell in love, and also their relationship with uh, Lily and James Potter. So, what did you guys think? You guys have all read this, um, I'm sure by now, I hope, because I put it in the doc. Um, what were some of the standout uh, moments of this because it's it's quite a few paragraphs. It's maybe well. Why don't, I don't you read know, the summary first? I think that'll be a good way to start. Yeah. So I summarized this um, based on the ten or twelve paragraphs there, um, and I'll read this quick. So Petunia uh, separates herself from Lily and her parents when you know she she figures out that they like Lily and, and her wizardry more. She secures an office job as a typist, and she meets a man who is as ordinary as possible. She confesses the existence of her sister to Vernon, and he vows not to care. He proposes to her in his mother's house. Due to James Potter's lack of sensitivity, the relationship between James and Lily and Vernon and Petunia only gets worse. Vernon and Petunia do not attend James and Lily's wedding at all. The last correspondence they have is the announcement of Harry's birth. Also, very interestingly, um... J.K. Rowling sheds a little bit of light on why they try to drive the magic out of Harry and when they're running from the letters, why they take him to the hut on the rock. Um, that detail I thought was very cool. Apparently there's an old superstition that witchcraft or witches cannot cross water. Mm. Um, so that was why they... Because didn't it seem odd reading the first book for the first time? You're like, okay, a hut in the middle of nowhere. It's funny because didn't they go to the middle of a cornfield or over a suspension bridge first? You know, so we think Vernon's finally lost it when he persuades a fisherman to give him a boat. But really, it's based on superstition. So I, I liked that she had the opportunity to explain that. So one of the things that first stood out to me here is that Petunia loves the ordinary. Like, she... After learning about Lily and her special power, she hated, I mean, and we already knew this, she hated everything about Lily, that, that she was being treated as special. So meeting Vernon, it seems like one of the reasons she fell in love with Vernon was that she liked somebody who was boring, <laughs> who was the complete opposite of her sister and um, yeah, was and, and even fell more in love when he didn't really care for this Lily either. See, I... Yeah. And was repulsed by it just as much as she was. Mm -hmm. See, I, I sorry. Well, J.K. Rowling's writing 
helps too. And that's the reason to really read Pottermore and not to settle for my summary, which was probably got awful. J.K. Rowling's writing style really helps because when she's talking about this moment, she's talking about Vernon driving a, the, the, the correct car. And, you know, he's a perfectly ordinary man. And he's always doing the perfectly ordinary thing. And so that, that helps characterize what is going through Petunia's mind. Mm-hmm. When she meets him. I just want to say, I never understood the logic of Petunia Dursley. Like, I just, she, her, she makes no sense to me. Like, the whole, I, really? I get the, I get that she hated magic so much she was attracted to the idea of getting as far away from it as possible. But to go for someone like Vernon and be so attracted to the fact that he was so unbelievably dull... I do not understand. Like, what kind of life did she imagine that she would... Well, I guess that's the kind of life she likes, but... Well, isn't it also... Don't we learn... And and I think one of our Twitter um, followers has said this, uh, which we'll get to later in the episode. Essentially that, you know, because we know that Petunia wanted to go to Hogwarts... Mm. Isn't this said, is it in book six or book seven, where, you know, they're young and Lily is saying, well, we could write to Dumbledore and get you, you know, to go to Hogwarts possibly. The fact, or don't we know from what J.K. Rowling said that Albus himself wrote Petunia a letter explaining yeah. why she couldn't come to Hogwarts, but that, that, you know, he treated it delicately. When it came, she was jealous, essentially. As a young girl, she was jealous that her sister was getting all this attention for essentially being a freak. And when it, when it became known that she would not also be able to go to Hogwarts with her sister, they, they parted ways. There was this split. There was this break. And Petunia never looked back from it. Um, you know, she, she, as a, as a coping mechanism to, for, for her own self-worth, she convinced herself that her, her parents were insane and that, and that Lily was a freak. And unfortunately she needed to find, you know, somebody who felt or would have felt the exact same way without all that provocation. And so she found the most ordinary man she could possibly come across. It's, and Mary. It's interesting to me though, that Vernon actually believed what it was that (laughs) Petunia was saying, because think about your, your regular person never exposed to the, the magical world before. And the woman that you're dating all of a sudden comes up to you and tells you that his sister is a witch. I mean, you probably Mm -hmm. think she's a little bit, you know, off a rocker, wouldn't you? It, it would make me drop my sausage, <laughs> which well, is exactly what, what happened. That was a joke. I know. Yes, that that's was a joke. What's written in the in the text. This was written. They're eating at the time. Ah. They're like like a drive-in movie or something. And Vernon drops his sausage when when she tells. But him. but yeah, she, no. The the question I wanted to ask you though is, do you think it, it's Petunia and Vernon's fault that this relationship didn't really move? forward at all or do you think james has a large part to play in that what relationship i think james is 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 very much you know kind of the reason like his his temperament and vernon's temperament are completely clashing you know james wants to show off is proud of magic has never had a reason to hide his magic and is just really He's he's unashamed about about anything, and and the fact that Petunia and Vernon want to act as though magic is is not the coolest thing in the world. I see a a, a character conflict with with James there, and 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 so I do think because it hurts Lily, and it's it's said that the, you know the strain on their relationship between Petunia and Lily really hurt Lily. Like 
I think James could have tried harder. Right, that's the thing, because uh, we see so much yeah. of that out of him when he has that interaction with Snape as well. You know, it says in Pottermore, James was amused by Vernon and made the mistake of showing it. You know, a smarter person would have just kind of placated him, I think. and mm-hmm. just I think so, too. I, especially for Lily's sake. Um, because their relationship is really important to Lily. I think that uh, James should have been a lot more... I mean, even, even little things. You know, just mindful of muggles for you know so i i do agree and there's even some point in the story where james tells vernon about his huge uh vault um filled full of gold and uh you know it's said that that vernon isn't sure whether james is being honest or, or telling the truth and that's james's fault really you know because if you come across as that kind of a person where you could be making fun of them or you could be on it being honest like that that's your problem i'm sorry you need to really come across as you need to really think a little bit more about how you're presenting yourself and i don't think james did that and i do think that that led to the you know their their separation and, and the they didn't even come to their wedding for crying you know <sighs> It's just so upsetting yeah. that that there's definitely they couldn't have been better. There's definitely friends. a lot of shadiness with the way that James sort of is portrayed in some of the scenes in the book. Like you just you, you double you you think of him like Harry did as just this perfect dad who can do no wrong because he's not there to to do to do any wrong basically in Harry's mind. But then when you actually look at some of these things, it, it does make you wonder, doesn't it? But I guess he's 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 just like Fred and George, really. Well, yeah, and I think what's interesting, though, is the role that guilt plays, because, you know, we throughout the series, because we looked at what Snape, uh, you know, he loved Lily, mm-hmm. and his whole guilt over possibly causing her death, or his guilt over not being the right man for her, uh, eventually caused him to protect Harry, and, you know, look after him through all those years, and lie to the Dark Lord, and all that stuff. Well, Petunia's guilt... Perhaps in in the role of not being on better terms with her sister when she died, um, or even at all throughout their lives, that guilt is causing her to also protect Harry. And you know she she's the reason that they take Harry in, and and you know that provides we know that provides the strong protection. So all these people have this guilt over Lily essentially, and that's allowing Harry to be protected. And Lily's own sacrifice protects Harry throughout the series so i just think that's very interesting did anybody have a changed perception of the dursleys following reading this backstory because you know we've always had this um disgust for them this taste in our mouths for for the dursleys because of how they've treated harry did this allow you to understand them more yeah. or anything was anybody feeling better about the Dursleys? I just feel bad. I feel like it's a very tragic story. You know, Petunia was the one who wasn't chosen. You know, she was the one who was told very early on in her life that she, she was not the special one and I think that it, despite, you know, you, we can hate her for how she let that consume her, but I definitely think looking at her life, I just think it's really tragic. Yeah. No, I I agree. I I think as I said before, I mean, my perception of James changed a little bit more mm-hmm. than really anything related to Vernon or Petunia. And I thought it was interesting, Eric, you brought up the point that uh, Petunia and Vernon don't go to James and Lily's wedding, even though James and Lily go to theirs. And Lily is not asked to be a bridesmaid at that wedding. So, you know, I, I wonder, though, is that more of the fact that, 
you know, Vernon and Petunia don't go because can you imagine them conversing amongst a group of witches and wizards, you know, at, at this wedding, <laughs> it probably wouldn't have gone over very well. I mean, especially with James and Lily Potter, like two superstars essentially of Hogwarts, um, you know, going there, everybody at that wedding is going to think that Lily and James are the best thing ever. And I can see why that would be that alone, not, not to mention, you know, surrounding yourself with a bunch of wizards to begin with, uh, would be repellent to the Dursleys. Um, and especially a constant they reminder need to believe... for Petunia of what she could have had. Yeah. Well, not only that, that, but we see, uh, as Harry grows, that they cannot be, they do not wish to be reminded at all about magic. That there is this whole other world, ex- you know, out there. They prefer to be so close-minded, and, and they prefer not to be reminded of that at all in the slightest. They, they need to be able to ignore it, to go on functioning. Petunia, so that she doesn't feel unworthy. And Vernon, you know, just because he's, he's Vernon. So, that's very interesting about, trying to be normal. There's this adherence to normal. Like, I keep thinking, like, Dursley throughout the series, okay, you know, how the order gets them out of the house, is it in, in book five, is, you know, that fake invitation to the, the England's oh, best-kept yeah. <laughs> lawn you know, cer- ceremony. Like, really, I think, over time, and, and that's, that's a, I want to say, a high, um, it's it's an exaggerated kind of character, but... It it's admirable and and you kind of just you do love the Dursleys I think by the end of it especially because of Dudley's redemption you know they, they these are these these Muggles they're are they the only Muggles in the series too that we that we know of besides you know obviously Ted Tom's yeah. turned like they're what we have for Muggles like well for, I mean people with, I don't think you uh, end up liking them magic. no no I don't I what? I really don't like the how they treated Harry I mean. There's no excuse for that. Yeah. Well, I think also Hermione's parents are the complete contrast to mm. the Dursleys. Well, Hermione's parents are like Lily's parents, really. The, uh, it, the exception is that Lily's an only child, or Lily isn't an only child, and Hermione is. Although she wasn't originally going to be, no. which we also find out in Pottermore. Very interesting. But um, no, like Lily, Lily's parents. Okay, they find out their daughter's this witch. They're completely wait they i'm sorry they were also witches and wizards which is the difference but basically you know hermione's parents she's their only kid like they have to support her you know in in that way whereas lily's parents probably share the 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 blame for isolating petunia um you know when when it was that she was a, a muggle born or a squib whatever it is that petunia exactly is the fact that petunia felt neglected that Lily was more special is kind of her parents' fault. Um, so I, I do blame Lily's parents, you know, because Hermione's parents are doing the right thing. Well, no, so Jake, you, you were right though. Just, just sorry about that, but you were right with, with what you first said, Eric. Though her parents were both Muggles, not they weren't. They didn't have any magical blood in them. Oh, yeah. I must be reading somebody's grandmother. Maybe it's McGonagall. That said, said, like her grandmother was a great witch. Yes, I'm sorry, I'm confused. Well, they the said there's stories. probably some magical blood, like in the line somewhere with Muggles who have magical kids. But I think Lily specifically, I'm almost 100 percent sure, or both of her parents were not. Were Muggles? Witch. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 
Well, so so look at it then. You know, you're muggles. You find out your daughter's this witch. What do you do? Well, Hermione's parents praised that. They were like, we're going to raise our daughter just like we always raised your daughter, you know, to be special and that kind of thing. Whereas Lily's parents were like, I have two daughters. One of them's special. I'm going to let them know it. You know, I'm going to let the one who's not special know that she's not special. She's going to leave home, you know, and get married at the age of like 17, I think Petunia did. So that's that's tough. That's rough, actually, for Petunia. I definitely sympathize. J.K. Rowling added her thoughts on, you know, this whole backstory as well. She didn't really analyze it too much. Um, she just provided the backstory on the names, how she got the names. And th- there wasn't too much interesting there, to be honest. Um, <laughs> she picked she picked the name Dursley based on a town yeah. that was near the town she was born in. And she said, I've never visited, but I'm sure they're charming people. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike the Dursley family. Ironic. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's move on to McGonagall's backstory now. Unfortunately, mm. this is not more redemptive, <laughs> or it's not—it's not more—it's not a happier story uh, to tell. It's but, sadder, if you ask me. Yeah, and it's in three parts. So you get some of it in chapter seven, then some of it in chapter eight of Pottermore, and then the final bit in chapter fifteen. So throughout book one, you do get these bits added and added, added on about Professor McGonagall. So this is, again, this is my summary, but the real thing, trust me, it's five or six times longer. Um, so here's the summary. Uh, Minerva's mother, who lived in Scotland, falls for a Presbyterian minister, a muggle, but doesn't tell him about her magic. Isabel, which is Minerva's mother, feels trapped by her secret. Only after Minerva is born does she confess to Robert that she's a witch, and this leaves a big distrust in their marriage. They still stay together, but the wife and husband can't trust each other. Minerva has two younger brothers, who are both wizards. At school, Minerva is a hat stall, which we can talk about a little later on. Minerva is great at transfiguration in Quidditch. She suffers an injury in the Gryffindor-Slytherin Quidditch game, which gives her a long-standing wish to see Slytherin crushed at Quidditch. Additionally, Albus Dumbledore guides her to successfully becoming a registered animagus. They don't become close friends until after McGonagall goes back home. She falls in love. She has to tell her new fiancé that she has to cancel their marriage because she doesn't want to live the same life her mother did, lying to the muggle that she fell in love with. She works for the Ministry of Magic for two years. She dislikes it due to their anti-muggle tendencies. And she writes to Hogwarts asking for a job. Dumbledore responds within hours and finds her crying when she learns that her former fiancé has remarried. A trust between Albus and Minerva develops when they get close following that incident. Additionally, McGonagall and Sprout were friends during the last couple of years at Hogwarts. Finally, Minerva did end up marrying her boss from the Ministry of Magic, but only after her first fiancé had died. Being quite old in age, her new husband only lasts three years before he dies. They shared a cabin together in Hogsmeade, where Minerva's nieces and nephews would visit. Minerva moved back to the castle after his death, where she remained at the castle. Aww. So that's such, pretty sad. Such a deep backstory, too, for something we never, ever hear about in the books. This is the kind of stuff that's that J.K. Rowling could just, like, pull out of thin air. Yeah. You know, this is like, air. yeah, this is all yeah. of her. Yeah, it's insane. So is it that none of it was in the books? Like, how much of this could we have guessed at? Any of it? No. No, I don't think so. I mean, at best, the only thing we could have started 
guessing about it. So how did Minerva get to Hogwarts anyway? Well, what is, how did she start working? What there? has always been weird to me has been, you know, the, 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 tro- the trophy that we see in the first book going like Minerva, blah, 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 on the Griffin, uh, on the Quidditch team, where I guess that showed us that <sighs> she was on the Quidditch team or that her daughter was. I think we speculated that she had a daughter at the time. But I guess that's the only thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting because for as much as we know about McGonagall from reading the books, this is, you know, it seems to come completely out of left field. Like, it's plausible. It's it's completely, you know, fitting with the character, but none of this was really ever hinted at. You know, like spouses, I think J.K. Rowling was asked once about spouses of Hogwarts headmasters or, you know, of the professors. You know, what are they like? Do they live with them? That kind of thing. And I think Joe said that it was really important and that it may come into play later, but you know, what we find out here is that, you know, McGonagall has had this, this tragic, you know, history. Her, her own parents were, um, kinda, their marriage was ruined because her mom was a witch and her dad was a muggle. She ends up falling in love with a muggle, has to tell him she's a witch or cancel the relationship, so she cancels the relationship. You know, and, and the, the guy who loves her, um, you know, her boss at the Ministry of Magic, she refuses his proposals uh you know the first 10 or 20 times until the muggle that she was in love with dies and then by that time this guy's so old in age that he dies after only 3 years of marriage like this is there's got to there's this long tale of like regret and secrecy versus you know all this other stuff yeah. what it, what, what I, comes out of it is that Minerva has this moral code that she got from her father, who was the minister. And that's really all we see in the Harry Potter series, is that she's a very, well, stern, but also she has this sense of right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was it's, one of the biggest also, things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think you also get the foundation for her relationship with Dumbledore and why she is so sort of dedicated to him throughout the series and you know, really kind of sticks by his side no matter what. It's said that they have this really deep connecting conversation between the two of them where he gives pieces of his backstory to her, um, which I'm assuming is about you know his sister and his brother and, and everything that happened um, when, when his sister was accidentally killed. So uh, I think that you know, that's kind of a bonding moment for, for the two of them. And and I think at the end of the description, Joe describes both Professor McGonagall and Professor Dumbledore as being kind of reserved, you know, characters. And I thought, well, actually, yeah, that's right. They are, you know, they do keep to themselves. Dumbledore's backstory wasn't even revealed, you know, until posthumously, until after he died. You know, then it was revealed by Rita Skeeter. But really, people don't know, people know Dumbledore and people know McGonagall, but we don't know that much about them. You know, in 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 the books, reading through like what their history is all about, what made them who they are, and so this whole all this McGonagall story about you know not only her parents and their struggles, but herself and and what she went through, you know, is really cool to have. Um, but does it does it make you read McGonagall in a new light, or is this something where it's totally extra? You know, we get it from J.K. Rowling, but it won't influence our reading. In, in, in the Harry Potter books, because my no, argument for that is that... It's meant as extra. Yeah, yeah, I think it's meant as extra. I don't think it's meant to influence your reading, necessarily, of the series, because it all that all takes place at a separate time than the information that you're getting. So, um, you know, you brought up the hat stall earlier. I thought that that's really a cool thing, uh, that essentially her and Flitwick could have switched spots, and one could have been, 
you know, the head of Ravenclaw, the other the head of Gryffindor, uh, d- depending on, you know, what the hat decided. I mean, I was a hat stall when I did it. I don't know if anybody else on here was. No. no. <laughs> Very jealous. That's super cool. <laughs> That's so cool. So Yeah, I'm jealous, too. I have the, so you got to pick your house yes, on Pottermore? Yes, I, I had the choice between Ravenclaw and Slytherin. Oh, cool. And you picked Ravenclaw. Yep. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. want to choose Slytherin. No. <laughs> well, a hat stall is something completely new. Like, it's completely Pottermore, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's it's cool because then J.K. Rowling was able to say, well, no, it's, al- it's always existed, like, because you have these characters, McGonagall and Flitwick, who were hat stalls. I always knew that. But it's never mentioned in the books because it's not relevant. Isn't it like when... The Sorting Hat, well, the Sorting Hat can't decide, obviously, but takes a certain amount of time to decide. And ultimately, it does decide, but it's it's stumped. You stump the Sorting Hat with what you've got. And I don't think Harry could be considered a hat stall, right? Because it didn't really take that much time. Or could he? You know, was, was the Sorting Hat just speculating, or what's going on? Don't know. Are hat stalls explained like a little bit more in Pottermore? I'm trying to remember, because I feel like somebody said that Hermione was a hat stall. Oh. No, I think Hermione just Hermione, had the that choice up. that Harry did, didn't she? Or did she say, oh no, she just said something like, oh, the the hat couldn't decide for ages whether it wanted me in Ravenclaw or Gryffindor, but it chose yeah. Gryffindor in the end. So she didn't yeah, actually choose. So the head chooses. It's possible, like, I think Harry and Hermione, to some extent, had this dialogue with the hat. Everybody has this dialogue with that. But to be a hat stall, you really need to stump the hat. Like, I think it's if it takes longer than five minutes to decide, that kind of thing. Then is when the issue is. Obviously, with Flitwick and Minerva, they joke later in later years that they could have each other's jobs. Because both of them could have equally been in the other house. Um, but the hat, in the end, chose Ravenclaw for Flitwick and Gryffindor for McGonagall. Mm-hmm. Very, just very fascinating yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, I definitely felt I really enjoyed reading all of this stuff on McGonagall, like, because even though it doesn't have anything to do with, with the actual books, it still just shows the richness of the world. But I almost felt like while I was reading it, I was almost waiting for some kind of twist. And I know maybe that's just me being too demanding because all of these small stories can't have something. But I mean, did any of you guys feel that? Like, were you waiting for some kind of small revelation of some kind or do you think we already got that who specifically are you referring to anyone in particular i meant for yeah but for either of them like really because there was so much speculation during the books that uh, the dursleys were going to have some kind of uh, huge role to play and then we never got that so i thought okay well maybe in the extra material mm-hmm. or even with mcgonagall because i think jk rowling once said all oh, the reason i can't tell you anything about the spouses is because it might come up in a later book of the of the house Heads of house, and then it never, and it never did. did. Yeah, and the fact that McGonagall marries someone who we've never heard about, you know, is that is that kind of what you're saying? That, What's that, his name? Eric? Okay, his like name. I expected it to be more. <laughs> Urk Urkhart Elf Urkhart. What is it? I'm, I'm <laughs> sounds right to me. Uh, Elfinstone Urkhart. Okay, so she marries this guy who we've never heard about before or after. Um, it's important that she marries him, okay? It's important that she lets love in. <laughs> Aww, you know? I guess. But, but ultimately, ultimately, he, it only lasts three years. And, you know, she's left a widow. And, 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 not, she didn't really deserve that. She deserves. And she kept her own name. You know, happiness. Yeah, she didn't change her name, which was, I think that was a twist, right? <laughs> that, uh, huge you know, twist. That, they that say she's parents, a bit of a feminist. A bit of a feminist, right? So. 
that's kind of cool, I guess, that, that she would have changed her name, but she didn't. I mean, she could have gotten married, mm-hmm. changed her name, and then changed it back, considering we only met her after, you know, she was And, widowed. you know, she was a bit of a gold but, digger. I bet that was a bit of a twist. No, no. That, <laughs> in case there was any question whether or not that song applies to her. Yes. Did did we get through these questions? I think so. Um, my biggest question, though, was that uh, Dumbledore sh- uh, teaches or guides um, McGonagall, presumably while she's in school, how to become an em- animagus. So I thought that was just really interesting because there was all that speculation for a while that Dumbledore... You know, his symbol is the phoenix, but also that he could turn into a phoenix. Not fox, you know, not to be confused with fox, but, you know, the phoenix and Dumbledore kind of have this thing going on. Okay, so it was a question whether or not Dumbledore himself was an animagus. Turns out he teaches McGonagall how to turn into successfully. Well, as, but as you have quoted in all caps, guides her to successfully become. So maybe could she, he have led her to somebody who could, who is an animagus and who could have taught her? Well, well, maybe. I, well, it looked like one-on-one tutelage is the way it read to me. was one-on-one time. But which he's was also transfiguration teacher. Well, he is the transfiguration teacher, but... And don't <sighs> the marauders teach themselves how to become animagus? That's the thing. They do teach themselves, so I guess it can't be too hard, right? Well, but it's probably hard. I mean, used... they're not idiots. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay, good point. Well, and has it been said before that one animagus has to bequeath the information <laughs> onto another? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, for Dumbledore to teach McGonagall, and then, you know, 20 years later, 30, 30, 40 years later, for the Marauders to do it without Dumbledore's help, you know, it just seems, it's, it's, it's interesting to con- compare yeah. the two. I yeah, think. that's, that's fair. Um, I, I wish we knew if, if McGonagall ever had feelings for Dumbledore. Because obviously we knew he doesn't for her, but what did she? Could she have? There's like this mutual trust and respect. I mean, we see her in the books defending him all the time, and I think that's just because of those. She knows that he's had kind of a a messed up past, just like she has, and and he has been there for her. Like she gave him, she hated her job at the ministry. There was too much of this anti-Muggle bias and stuff. She hated her job there. Wrote to Hogwarts within hours. He gets back to her and says, "Sure, come be a Transfiguration teacher under my department, you know, of Transfiguration." So I think she does feel like she owes him a lot. That he that he's been a great friend to her. Um, Dumbledore seems to have been a bit of an emotional friend as well when she was going through the hard times. A shoulder to cry on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... And, and Oprah. I know we kind of give Pottermore it, its fair share of flack for a lot of things, but, you know, kind of reading through this, and, and even there was this one thing at the very end where they talk about McGonagall going back to Hogwarts and saying that she returned to her sparse stone-floored bedroom in Hogwarts Castle, accessible through a concealed door in the wall of her first-floor study. Like, that's detail only J.K. Rowling would give, you know? And it just it reminded me a lot of reading the books. Like, she didn't have to say, hey, it's behind this concealed door in her first-floor study, you know? But but those are things that people want to know. I, I feel like people will continuously ask questions as it relates to these characters and, and this world, and you always wonder, well, where does McGonagall sleep? You know, where does she go at night, you know? And now you have that answer. Well, maybe you don't want to know Yay. that specifically, but you, you get what I'm saying. No, no. I can rest now. Yeah, well, any of the professors, right? Because the only time we see them is really in the Great Hall, mm-hmm. but they all have 
offices. They all presumably sleep in the castle. They live in the castle. So where do they, you know, the only the only person whose office we've been to, well, I guess Snape's, and then Dumbledore's, right? I felt like... But each of... Each I of felt like I knew sleep. this already, but maybe I've just been reading fan fiction. Like, I don't know. But didn't we go to Lupin's what, room at one point? Involving Minerva and her bedroom? <laughs> no. Like, where they slept, all the teachers. I felt like we went to Lupin's room at some point <laughs> in canon. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was kind of assumed that they lived in the castle, because they're always there at night. Yeah, but I'm saying well, this. Yeah, they have to. But this is just another one of those things that kind of leads to another. Like, okay, you're talking about McGonagall, but how much about Hogwarts don't we know? Like, how many passages and rooms and, you know, things exist there that weren't on the Marauder's map, you know, that we still have Hopefully yet to we'll learn. find out in the encyclopedia. Yeah. Well, um, we got some tweets from those of you who follow us on Twitter. We had asked, what do you think of, um, I, I don't know what the tweet said exactly. <laughs> what did the tweet say? <laughs> it said, for those who have read the Dursley McGonagall backstory in Pottermore, tell us what you think. We'll share an episode. Well, wow, Andrew, how'd you figure that out so fast? I just, I've always had the MuggleCast Twitter ready at my disposal. Um, so we got some replies. Emily224 said, I absolutely loved that Vernon amused James. McGonagall's was heartbreaking and shows she's even more badass than we thought. Did it really make her badass? I mean, she had a hard she's been life. through a lot. Yeah. Give her that. And she they, kept They fighting. talk about her having this moral code. I think what's badass about her is that she denies herself involvement with this muggle because she knows her parents' relationship didn't work out. You know, so she kind of, and it's said that the reason she doesn't tell him that she's a witch is because of the international statute of secrecy, whatever. So I guess that's a little badass because she's obeying the law. Yeah, and she didn't want to work yeah, for the ministry sense. because of their stance on muggles. I thought that was pretty badass. And the Quidditch. I thought that was badass. Yeah. She's Quidditch. Yeah, that is yeah. cool. Nathan Wingert writes, Dursley's backstory is very interesting in light of Book 7 and the revelation that Petunia wanted to go to Hogwarts. Gonzalo Calarte says, liked how they explained how the Dursleys did see James and Lily a few times before they died and what happened. That was good. That was a question I think a lot of people always wondered. How close were the, the two couples? Marcia wrote, it makes me admire McGonagall even more, if that's possible. Chris writes that McGonagall might have switched places with Flitwick blew my mind. The family cat did bidding before she could talk. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) The family cat did bidding. Oh, right. That's a little bit um, that McGonagall's mother tells her that even before she could walk and talk, the cat was was do, was performing tasks that the baby Minerva that wanted. That is so cool. <laughs> whatever, whatever that might have been. <laughs> and also, baby Minerva made what her father's bagpipes play from rooms rooms away. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so Scottish of her. Baby, <laughs> baby McGonagall was pretty powerful, apparently. And finally, Veronica writes, "I loved McGonagall's backstory. After knowing her history and then looking at her in the books, makes me love her even more." So there's so answer. hopefully we'll get lots more backstories in the coming in the future Pottermore books and, you know, get connected to the characters more. How do you think this rated, though, amongst, you know, sort of the content that's been available so far? Do you guys like this kind of stuff? Do you think it's yeah. not interesting? This is some of the better stuff, I thought. Yeah, I agree. I love the McGonagall stuff, especially. Because the backstories are very encyclopedic, which is what people have been wanting for so long. So if, if there are a few of these in each book, 
Yeah, jumping back to that interview, I think in one of the interviews with the Pottermore CEO, he said Chamber of Secrets is going to be better than Sorcerer's Stone. So to me, hopefully that means more backstories. Right. And I know there was just one more thing, Eric, that you had here, but I mean, we did get very, very briefly mentions of Minerva's siblings and her parents, but we didn't really find out much of what happened to them beyond. Yeah, her brothers have kids, so that's great. I mean, she not only has younger brothers, but Minerva McGonagall, uh, you know, her kids, her, her brothers have kids. And so presumably, like, I don't know why they're not at Hogwarts is, I guess, my biggest, biggest question, because it's the only school in the area. Well, they might be out of you know, Hogwarts. That's true. Um, because they'll probably be, age-wise. yeah, they'll probably be too old to go to Hogwarts and maybe, I don't know why they, I don't know, <laughs> their kids wouldn't be at Hogwarts. Maybe that's too much to ask. Maybe they're Durmstrang. Right, but uh, <laughs> interesting to know that she does have younger brothers, though, and so that's kind of cool. You know, I kind of pictured her as an only, uh, not not an, an eldest. Those the terms? Psychological? I guess so. But uh, super cool. Okay, so that's it for that discussion this week, and maybe we'll do more Pottermore stuff next time? We have to look yeah, through maybe. more, see what else is available. And there's some good, like, little stuff yeah, here there's, there that really... There's stuff on Quirrell, I think, cool. right? A little bit of backstory. Oh, right. A little bit. A little bit. Oh, gotta read more on Quirrell. Eric, to wrap up the show, you have a birthday wish. I have a birthday announcement. I want birthday to wish announcement? my... It was your birthday, yes, was it, well, recently? Birth- yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, that, isn't it a bit full of yourself to wish yourself a happy birthday? <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> oh, it's, it's not... It could be. It could be. No, I'm, I'm not talking about my own birthday. I'm talking about... Uh, birthday of my girlfriend, Gina, and she listens to our show and has for a couple of years now and probably hasn't gotten a birthday announcement before. So, oh, yeah. Well, happy sure. birthday. Happy Gina. birthday. Happy birthday. That's wonderful. Now, does she have a podcast to announce your birthday on? Um, you know, they're starting, she's kind of involved in the beginnings of one, but, oh, okay. uh, I won't require that ever. I'm not, <laughs> no, I got my birthday, maybe next year. We'll see how we'll see how popular her podcast gets. Let's say okay. that. Um, and also, we want to remind everybody about Ascendio and LeakyCon. It's the two events that we're going to be at coming up this summer. Um, Ascendio is the first one happening in July. Um, July twelfth to the fifteenth. Ah, beautiful in Orlando, Florida, at the Lowe's Portofino Bay Hotel. It's one of Universal's official properties. You can still register now. Just visit hp2012.org. hp2012.org. And there will be... Still don't know what the MuggleCast thing is going to be there, but um, that TBA. And then all four of us will be at LeakyCon 2012, which is uh, leakycon.com. It's going to be August... <laughs> Every time I talk about this on the show, the I'm typing in the URL as I talk about them to get the dates because <laughs> I can never remember. Yeah, August 9th to the 12th in Chicago. Um, and that, of course, registration is open as well. Tons of stuff happening there. And we will, we will be doing a, a full-fledged podcast there. We know that so far. So <clears throat> Probably a post-game meetup, right? Oh, sorry. Post-podcast meetup. <laughs> yeah. Post-pink. Yeah, maybe. Everybody yeah. just meet at a restaurant or something. It's more fun than standing in the hallway. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> and plus, we have to celebrate the seven-year anniversary of MuggleCast, which is like practically that week or something. Guys, seven years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Special amazing, stuff. You guys. Signing off. What? <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, um, I have to say, uh, I've seen I've seen a few sketches of the uh, t-shirts this year, and oh, they cool! Look I haven't awesome. seen them. Yes, uh, we're gonna. She's gonna that send means... them on over. Cool. But uh, no, I saw some sketches. I think they're gonna be great. Uh, there will be an opportunity to support the show by getting a MuggleCast seven-year nice. t-shirt. And finally, reminder for MuggleCast.com, it is all the information you need about the show. There you can uh, subscribe and review us on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash MuggleCast. You can like us, like us on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash MuggleCast. And, of course, the fan Tumblr, which is MuggleCast.tumblr.com. And also there, you can get the latest episodes, read the latest transcripts, check up on the tweets, check out the Wall of Fame, everything you want to do. It's right there. MuggleCast.com. Thanks everyone for listening. From Hypable.com, I'm Andrew Sims. From MuggleNet.com, I'm Eric Skull. From MuggleNet.com, I'm Mike Tannenbaum. And from Hypable.com, I am Selena Wilkin. See everybody next time for episode 254. Good Bye guys. Good night. Bye.